please stand for the reading of God's word from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Good morning. It's so good to be with all of you here this morning. My name is Daniel. Um, I think I was here exactly a year ago, right before Travis was installed. Uh, so I was very honored when Travis uh, reached out to call me back, uh, which was a reminder to me that, or not a reminder, but at least I interpret it as uh, the congregation still wants or still likes me and it's okay to be back. So, um, uh, but uh, my wife, Jennifer, and uh, our two kids, uh, we live in East Boston. I don't know if any of you live in East Boston, but if you do, I'd love uh, to maybe after the service get to meet you and I'd love to get to know some of you more. Uh, uh, in the weeks to come, but uh, thank you for having me back. Uh, City Life is doing well. Uh, we also called a senior pastor in the past year, uh, and our elders and our congregation have been praying for you and thinking of you, all of you, this past year, um, but it's just grateful to, to spend time in God's Word with all of you this morning. Um, uh, today, uh, we're looking at this passage in the book of Acts, uh, and our, our church congregation is actually going through a sermon series in the book of Acts uh, that we're calling uh, The Life of the Church. Um, and post-pandemic, uh, in a season where uh, every Christian is asking, what does it mean to be the church? 
Uh, We've been looking at the book of Acts to kind of get a picture of the early Christians and how they did life uh, together as God's people. And and today, uh, we're going to look at this unique encounter uh, between these two very different people. An Ethiopian high official uh, that crossed paths on a chariot with a Jewish man. You know, it kind of sounds like this is how a joke starts, but there's actually no punchline in the story. This is actual true historical account between an Ethiopian high official and a Jewish Christian. And what we find in this unusual encounter, something that I think many of us rarely see today uh, in our cultural climate. You know, we learn about two people from two completely different cultural tribes. They were different religiously, racially, politically, socioeconomically. You know, they couldn't have been any more different. Uh, so you think about the story, you know, how many of us, how many of you today can imagine seeing a radical Republican and a radical Democrat together on the side of the road having a friendly conversation and saying, hey, let's study the Bible together. It's absurd. This is unheard of. We don't see things like this today because we live in such polarizing times. We live in a time where we divide the world versus us versus them And if you were to describe the world today, most of us see a world of outrage and disdain towards those uh, who we consider different from us. And yet, when you hear the story, there's something that's deeply attractive uh, for all of us. You know, these two men start off as complete strangers, and in the end, they become brothers. They go into the waters of baptism, and they come out as family as cultural enemies becoming family. You know, don't we all want this too? Even here in, our own, in your own congregation, you know, how does this happen? How do we experience something like this today? And I think the secret is found in this passage in verse 30, 35 when Philip says, uh, where it says that Philip told him the good news about Jesus. You know, there's something so unique about this news, about this person, Jesus, that it has the power to tear down walls, to break down barriers, to reconcile and bring together two people from very radically different sides of the cultural spectrum and to bring them together and become family. That's the question this morning is, do you know this news about Jesus and does it also radically change your relationships in your life today? Uh, This morning, as we take a closer look at the story and this conversation between these two people, uh, I also want us to take, say that we're going to see a glimpse into the very heart of God and who He is. That the heart of God is to pursue the very people and the very places that most of us here in this room naturally wouldn't pursue on our own. Uh, that His heart is actually to go out, to invite in and embrace the people that the world wants to shut out. The heart of God is to pursue the outsider. That's what today's sermon is about, pursuing the outsider. And I think we'll, we'll see the heart of God as we look at Philip's interaction with this Ethiopian in three ways, uh, and three things in this passage I want to pay attention to. Uh, noticing divine appointments, and I'll go into what that means. Uh, practicing curiosity, and lastly, sharing good news. Uh, noticing divine appointments. We'll start there. If you'll look with me at verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. 
And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So what's going on here in this passage? You know, who is Philip? Uh, If you're familiar with the book of Acts, earlier in in chapter 6, we're introduced to this man named Philip, and he's one of the seven uh, deacons who's ordained. Uh, He's ethnically Jewish, uh, but he's uh, one of the early Jewish Christians who's converted to Christianity in in the book of Acts. Uh, But we also learn that, you know, in the the book of Acts, that uh, Christianity spreads uh, mainly through the mouths of the apostles, but in chapter 8, there's a turning point where the apostles go into hiding in Jerusalem, and the church is scattered out, outside of Jerusalem, into the Gentile world, and it's people like Philip, these ordinary Christians, and ordinary men, ordinary women, uh, the everyday Christians that God uses to go out to take the good news of Christianity uh, to the world. And this is one of the first stories we read about, and here Philip, he's just an ordinary Christian. Verse 26, it says, an angel of the Lord tells him to rise and go south to Gaza. And later in verse 29, we read the Holy Spirit telling Philip, go over and join this chariot. So if you consider yourself a Christian this morning, imagine putting yourself in Philip's shoes for a moment. You know, what would you do in this situation? You're in the middle of a desert road. You notice this unfamiliar person riding towards you in a chariot. You don't know him. You don't know his story. You don't really know anything about him. But you just notice that he happens to be reading the Bible, but you don't know the reasons why. But your gut tells you, you know, why do any of us read the Bible? You know, maybe this person is asking questions. Maybe they're searching for something. Maybe they're longing to know answers to the deepest life's questions. And in that moment, you you sense the Holy Spirit nudging you to step outside of your comfort zone and hear a voice say to you in your heart, hey, go over and join this chariot. Go over and share the love of Jesus with that person. First question, would you go? I think all of us, when we read the story, of course, you're like, of course I will go. Uh, But some of us, we we know that it's more complicated than a simple yes. You know, we all have all sorts of challenges that prevent us from going over and joining this man in this chariot. Uh, If you're like me, perhaps you're a planner. You like to anticipate and know what's coming next in your schedule. You like to make appointments in your schedule. You like to be in control of your environment. You don't like disruptions to your daily plans. Or perhaps some of you here, in the, uh, uh, here this morning, when you think about this spontaneous go over and join this t- uh, man in the chariot, you think to yourself, but I'm always busy. You feel like you don't have time. You know, when someone asks you, hey, how are you doing? How is your week? Your first answer is, I'm busy. We all feel busy. We have kids. We have long hours at work. We have school assignments. We have extracurricular activities. We have responsibilities. So it's not that simple. It's not that simple just to go over because it's much harder to do than it is to say yes. And I think that's the point. I think God knows this about us. He knows this about Philip And he knows that we won't just go over and join the chariot on our own. So notice here in this passage, notice that it isn't Philip who has these plans to meet this Ethiopian man. You know, he doesn't self-orchestrate this encounter to happen, but this is what many of us call a divine appointment. You know, you don't anticipate or plan for this encounter to happen, but God just sort of brings this person in the middle of the day, on your journey on this road, to cross your path, and he creates an opportunity 
for you and invites you to say, are you going to help this person in their place of spiritual need? You know, he placed Philip on that road while the Ethiopian was reading home and while he was reading the Bible. The Spirit was moving behind the scenes to bring these two people together at the right time, at the right place, at the right moment for Philip to share Jesus with this person who was on a search for something. You know, neither of them planned for this, but God did. And as you think about this story, think about your own divine appointments in your own life where God brought someone to cross your own path at the right moment, at the right time. That phone call or text message or that person who showed up to your home when you needed them most, or that person who spoke those words of encouragement that you desperately needed in your place of doubt and hurt, to listen to you, to express compassion to you. You know, maybe you didn't realize it then, but in hindsight, you realize that God was at work behind the scenes. You didn't plan for that to happen. You didn't orchestrate for that to happen, but it just happened. So if that is true in your own life and in this story, when God sets up these divine appointments or divine opportunities for you to pursue others, the question is, do you go to them? Do you obey and give yourself over to the opportunity to love this person, to meet them in their place of spiritual need? Or perhaps a better question for all of us to ask is, do you even notice them? You know, for some of us, we're so preoccupied with our busy lives that we don't even notice what's right in front of our faces day to day. You know, imagine if Philip didn't even look up when this man is riding down a chair and he didn't even seek to notice and pay attention that this person happened to be reading the Bible. You know, we do this all the time, don't we? Uh, For those of us who work in the city, in downtown, we walk by someone homeless all the time and fail to notice that maybe this person just wants someone to sit and talk with them. We walk by someone sitting alone and lonely at the dining hall, longing for a conversation uh, to be heard. We, long, we walk by our coworker at the office who's battling something hidden, uh, who has something deep down inside that they just long to share and bring to light, but no one asks them the question. Even here in church, we walk by someone who's suffering in silence, who comes through those doors and out those doors, and no one even notices them. You know, do you ever look around your environment for the people and the opportunities that God might place in your path to be an encouragement, to share the love of Jesus with, to be a person of compassion and grace? You know, someone who just needs a friend to sit down next to them, put their arm around them, to join them in the chariot and to simply notice them. You know, one thing I've I've learned in, in doing ministry Uh, One quote I heard from uh, the late Eugene Peterson is that all of ministry is essentially a thousand little interruptions. It's not these planned appointments, but it's these little interruptions that God brings in your life where you cross this path and he tells us by the Holy Spirit, I want you to go over and join this person. And so here we see the heart of God. He sees the Ethiopian man when no one else notices him He sees him in his soul searching and he sends Philip at the right time, at the right place to be there for him. And this is what Philip does. He goes over and joins him in the chariot. But notice this isn't all that he does. This leads to our second point. Uh, We notice that he practices curiosity. What do I mean? Now look with me at verse 28. And he rose and went. 
And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, so as you're reading this passage, we're, you're probably asking the question, okay, who is this Ethiopian man? A little bit of cultural and historical background here. First, we learn that he's Ethiopian, so he's an African Gentile. You know, Ethiopia in the first century was one of the most powerful African empires at the time. And for many of us here in the West, when we think about, you know, when did Christianity arrive in Africa, it was actually there for an entire millennia. Uh, So this is not the same modern Ethiopia we know as today. It was a much bigger region uh, that probably expanded uh, from southern Egypt to northern Sudan. Uh, And this was a very influential, powerful kingdom and empire during this time. But not only do we learn that he's an Ethiopian, we learn this fact that he's also a eunuch. And you're probably wondering, what is a eunuch? Eunuchs were uh, people who were castrated in their youth. So for us as modern 21st century readers, we read this and we're like, that's a little strange. Uh, But for ancient people, this was actually a very common practice among people who worked in the royal court, who worked uh, for the royal family during this time period. So essentially, if you weren't born in royalty, you had to work your way or earn your way into working in the royal court to essentially show and prove your allegiance and loyalty to the crown. And one way to show your allegiance was by becoming a eunuch. I mean, talk about a a commitment, uh, castration, and becoming a eunuch was a way of removing any distractions and saying, my allegiance is solely alone to the crown. So it was a way from people on the bottom to climb to the top, to make their way up the social ladder and gain social status. So this is the cost that this man had to bear to serve in the royal court. And verse 27 says, he was the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. In other words, he was high up there as an official in the kingdom of Ethiopia. But here's this man, Philip. He's Jewish. He's a Christian. So to Philip, this man was a complete cultural outsider. He was from a different racial culture. He's African. He's a Gentile. He's not part of the holy nation and tribe of Israel. But he's also a religious outsider. He's a eunuch. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, in Judaism, people who castrated themselves would have been considered someone unclean within the Mosaic ceremonial law. In in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 23, verse 1, anyone who was a eunuch who castrated themselves would have been excluded from entering into the temple, from entering into the holy presence of God. He's seen as an outsider, someone deemed unfit, unclean among the Jewish community. So if you're hearing this language of unclean, unholy, holiness, you know, uh, this is religious language uh, that really turns a lot of people off in our culture. It sounds so exclusive. It sounds so discriminating. uh, And perhaps this is one of the reasons why some of you can't stand religion, all of this unclean, unholy language. But it's not just religious people in our city who are exclusive when it comes to these standards. But the reality is all of us are. You know, we all have someone in our mind that we consider religiously unclean or politically unclean or socially unclean. We just have more sophisticated labels to categorize them in our minds. You know, you may not say it out loud, but in your thoughts, you think you have your own version of the unclean types. You know, here's some examples. Again, if you talk about politics, if you belong to a liberal 
political group that advocates for liberal social values, then you, you will inevitably look down on conservatives with a condescending attitude. Or if you belong to a conservative political group that advocates for conservative social values, then you will look, uh, likely look down on liberals as less than. You categorize this group as politically unclean. Or if you try to live your life as a moral person according to your own moral code, you will inevitably disdain those people who fall short and live inconsistently with your own moral values. You consider them morally unclean. Or if you try to be successful and hard at work in your career, making lots of money, you know, you're going to look down on those whom you consider lazy or with different aspirational goals than yourself. You consider them socially unclean. You know, you get the point. Within Judaism, this Ethiopian would have been considered politically, socially, culturally, religiously unclean. And Philip could have easily given into this religious status quo and labeled him and dismissed him. But look at what Philip does. What does the Holy Spirit lead him to do? The first thing Philip does, is, as we've been saying, is that he notices him. But secondly, look at verse 30. It says, Philip ran to him. Imagine this scene. You know, Philip sees this man who's a completely uh, cultural outsider, someone deemed unclean by his own religion. And the first thing that he does to him is he runs to him and he moves closer to him. You know, I imagine a child when he sees their friend, or he or she sees their friend at the playground. You know, you don't really see adults run towards another person who's from a different cultural tribe. But most of us probably want to run the other way or the opposite direction. When you see someone you consider unclean, you move further away from that person. But Philip moves closer, and as he gets near to him, he overhears him reading the Isaiah scroll. And what is Philip doing? He listens to him. Again, it would have been much easier to fill up, to make up his mind, to label him, to dismiss him. But he practices curiosity and he wants to hear him out. And he's trying to listen and seek to understand this man. He knows like all of us, we all have our own struggles, our own experience of a hard life. And he's curious to learn more. Now, some of you may be familiar with the poet Walt Whitman. And he has this famous quote that I love. Be curious not judgmental. I love this quote. I think as Christians, if we were to, we can learn so much from the simple life statement in, in our ministries and in our relationships. Uh, but full disclosure, I actually didn't come across this quote from reading poetry. I wish I could say that's true, but I actually learned it for the first time watching an episode of Ted Lasso in season one. I don't know if any of you watched Ted Lasso, if there's any Ted Lasso fans, but if so, you can go ahead and YouTube this clip at home. But uh, there's a scene in season one where uh, Ted Lasso's in a bar playing darts, and uh, he's going up against one of his antagonists, uh, Rupert. Uh, and throughout the whole season, Rupert has sized up and judged Ted Lasso in his mind. Here's this foreigner, this American, who's coming to England to coach not American football, but uh, soccer or real football. Uh, and the whole season is about different critics trying to confine Ted Lasso in their small little boxes to look down on him, to belittle him for being an outsider who knows nothing about the sport of soccer. In short, they're being judgmental. And in this scene, Ted says, people have been doing that my entire life. No one has taken a chance to get to try to know me. No one has sought to seek to learn my own story. And so this is probably how the Ethiopian eunuch felt. You know, we don't know for sure because the text doesn't sell, tell us. 
But we do know something, that he's on, he was on a journey to Jerusalem to worship. And on this journey, he's reading an Isaiah scroll because in his heart, he's probably asking questions about life, about meaning, about purpose. He's searching for something, like all of us, wanting answers to our uh, life's biggest questions. And so what does Philip do next? He moves closer, he listens, he practices curiosity, and then he asks questions. He's like, I see you're reading the Bible. And in verse 30, he says, do you understand what you're reading? He's not reducing him down to size. He's not confining him in the small box. You know, imagine how differently the world would respond when we talked about Jesus if we took the same posture of curiosity to move closer towards those who are different from us rather than to move further away, to listen first, to ask questions and seek to understand before making snap judgments, to seek to understand and listen to a person's story in life before we share our religious convictions. And the reality is, sadly, many of us in the church, when we encounter people like this Ethiopian man who comes into our doors, who are different from us, we categorize them as unclean, and we're more often judgmental than we are curious. Religious people can often be the most judgmental. And to be fair, it goes both ways. The world is not very curious or friendly to Christians either. But the point is, if we took the posture of moving closer, the posture of listening and asking questions, a posture of curiosity, instead of moving further away, of shutting our ears and yelling, how different would the attraction to the gospel be? He was an outsider in every way according to Jewish standards. But in this encounter, we see another glimpse into the heart of God, a glimpse of the mission of God. When our culture tells us to run away from those you consider unclean and different from us, God says, no, I want you to move closer. When our culture tells us to ignore what the other side believes or thinks because we've already made up our minds, we know that they're wrong, God says, be curious, listen and ask questions, pay attention, seek to know them. You know, what's happening here is that the good news of Jesus is crossing over cultural and ethnic barriers. It's overcoming divisions and differences to bring two people from two completely sides together, different sides, to make two enemies become brothers. You know, so what is it about this message? What is it about this news that has the power to do this? And this leads us to my last point, sharing the good news. So as the story moves along, uh, Philip eventually meets this Ethiopian eunuch where he is, and he invites and shares the good news of Jesus with him, as the text says. You know, I want us to pay uh, close attention to what's happening leading up to this moment, to place ourselves uh, not only in the uh, shoes of Philip, but for one moment, put yourselves in the shoes of the Ethiopian. You know, we read that the Ethiopian is returning from his trip to Jerusalem. And all the commentators talk about how a trek from Ethiopian, or Ethiopia to Jerusalem would have been over a thousand miles. So uh, without modern transportation, you know, whether he's going by foot or here in this case, he's riding a chariot, it would have taken him months. So think about the distance he's just traveled. He goes through all of this trouble to get to Jerusalem. And he's on the spiritual journey that takes him from his homeland to this other land to seek the God of the Bible, to worship him in his temple in Jerusalem. And when he finally makes it to the city of Jerusalem and arrives at this temple, what do you think happens next? You know, we don't know for sure because uh, the writer of Acts doesn't, Luke doesn't tell us 
uh, the specifics, but we can take an educated guess. We can safely assume that when he gets to the temple gates, he'd be told by the people at the gate, sorry, you're not allowed to enter. You can't come in. Why? Because remember, under the Mosaic ceremonial law in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, we read that eunuchs were considered unclean, unfit. They weren't allowed in the temple gates. So under the sacrificial system, they were cut off from entering the assembly of the Lord. He would have been told, you are unclean, you are unfit, you don't belong here, and you're cast out. So imagine, this Ethiopian just takes months to go to Jerusalem and he's rejected. And imagine what he must have felt like on his ride back from uh, Jerusalem back to his homeland, Ethiopia. The feeling of dejection, the feeling of utter disappointment. You're telling me I came all this way and I'm not even allowed in. You know, some of you here can relate to what this man is going through. You know what it's like to feel unwelcomed. You know what it's like to feel like you don't belong, to feel like you're an outsider looking in. You know, maybe some of you even here at church this morning, you feel that way when you come to church every Sunday. You feel like a fraud. You're like, I don't belong here. If people really knew who I really was, I'm too unclean. I'm too unfit to be here. You feel like a fraud hiding behind a mask in this community in worship. And so now he's riding his chariot, returning back to Ethiopia after being rejected. And we read on this journey, he happens to have an Isaiah scroll and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And he comes across this passage in Isaiah chapter 53 where it talks about the suffering servant, this royal figure who's come, who's going to one day come into the world and make all things right. And all the commentators and scholars say that as the eunuch is reading this passage in Isaiah, remember uh, back then before they had uh, the Bible like we do today, there were no chapters, there were no verses. It was just this long manuscript. So more than likely, as he's reading chapter 53, he would have been reading Isaiah in the larger context of the book. And a couple chapters later, in Isaiah chapter 56, he would have read these words and listened to these words. He says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give to them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Did you catch that? What's Isaiah saying? In those days in a traditional Eastern culture, children and offspring are ultimately your legacy. To not have descendants, to not have children meant no one would remember your name. When you got old, you would no longer matter. You would cease to exist. Your life would no longer be remembered. You would be cut off from the people's memory, from those who loved you. And so this eunuch is alone. He has no family. He has no children. He knew what it was like to not be able to have children. He couldn't have sons and daughters, so he felt like this dry tree who couldn't bear fruit. He probably felt alone. No family to belong to, no sons and daughters. So on his trip to Jerusalem, he wasn't even allowed to enter into the presence of God because he was castrated himself and deemed cut off from the family of God. But now on his way back home, he's reading Isaiah and he says, wait a second. Isaiah 56 says, the Lord will not separate me from his people. The Lord says to the eunuch, that's me. I will give him my house a name better than sons and daughters. 
I will give them an everlasting name that should not be cut off? You know, how is this possible? How are eunuchs welcome into the presence of God? How can we be included into the family of God? And then we read here in this passage, he comes across Isaiah 53 and verse 32, we read this. He reads about this person who is like a sheep who was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shear in silence. So he opens not his mouth and his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken up from the earth. The NIV translate the, the, translates the line, who can describe his generation as who can speak of his descendants? So imagine what the Ethiopian is thinking at this time. He's reading 34 and he says, who is this person that the prophet Isaiah is talking about? Who is this person that doesn't have descendants like me? Who is this person that's rejected, excluded, cast out, cast out and cut off just like me? And when he's reading this passage at the right moment, at the right time in God's divine timing, he happens to bump into a man named Philip and Philip asks him, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And Philip jumps in the chariot with him and says, and imagine someone sitting down next to you. He opens up the Bible and says, let me tell you who, this per- uh, 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 who Isaiah is talking about. Let me share with you about this person named Jesus. You know, at the temple gates of Jerusalem, the Ethiopian eunuch was cut off. He was excluded from the presence of God. He was cast out. But in John chapter 6, when Jesus is looking out to people, he says, Jesus says to us, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You can imagine what the Ethiopian is thinking at this time and probably imagine what Philip is saying to him. He's saying, look, it doesn't matter uh, how much you've screwed up in the past. It doesn't matter how clean or unclean your life is right now. It doesn't matter whether you're a eunuch or you are a saint. Philip is saying to this man, do you know that on the cross that Jesus became unclean so that we might be clean? That do you know Jesus was cast outside the temple gates, outside of the presence of God, into complete darkness so that you and I could be brought into the presence of his light? Do you know that Jesus became like a eunuch? He was cut off from his father. He was cut off from having his own descendants so that you and I could be descendants, adopted children in the family of God, that you and I could have brothers and sisters and sons and daughters in the family of God. But this word wasn't just for the Ethiopian man to hear. It's a word for all of us to hear this morning. Do you believe this? The heart of Jesus is to pursue you even when you feel unclean unfit to belong in the presence of God, when you feel like a complete outsider. But not just for yourself. Do you believe that the heart of Jesus is to pursue the people out in the world whom we consider to be unfit, unclean, unworthy of the love of God? That his heart is to see, to seek and pursue the outsider and love them when no one else notices. That his heart is to love you when you feel unclean and unlovable. And here in this moment, when Philip shares the good news with Jesus with this man, this is the first time the Ethiopian man is able to hear Jesus' words, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And we're told he believed and he was baptized and he went home rejoicing. Do you believe that this morning? Do you need to hear the words of Jesus that says to all of us, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out? 
This isn't just a word for us here in this room inside these walls, but this is the word for a world out there that is starving to be known, to be loved, to be seen. And this is the heart of who our God is. How would you join me in prayer? Uh, Gracious God, as we read the story, we are all like Philip, whom you are nudging and whispering to us to go over and join that person in the chariot. And there are people in our lives this week, uh, God, that you have placed in our path, uh, that you've been nudging us to pursue and to seek, uh, God, but we've had so many challenges and barriers. And Holy Spirit, uh, this week, would you tear down those walls, tear down those barriers? Uh, Give us the strength, equip us to go uh, to minister the love of Jesus. Uh, But God, we are also like the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, God, that there is sin in our lives, there is suffering in our lives that people here in this room do not even know about. Uh, And God, we're just longing to be reminded of your words to us, Jesus, that when we come to you, that we we will never be cast out, that nothing can cut us off from the love of Jesus. Because when we look on the cross, Jesus, we see that you were cut off for us. Uh, That you uh, bore all the shame and guilt of our sin. And because of you, we are invited in. We belong into your family. I pray that that good news, not only was it good news for the Ethiopian uh, that day, but would it be good news for us today? Uh, That you would minister to our wounded and tired and weary souls. uh, To know that we are deeply loved and seen by you. When no one else notices, God, that we know that you do, that your heart is to have compassion and love us. I pray that as we experience that uh, through the, uh, the nourishment of uh, this bread and wine, God, would you also equip us, strengthen us to go out into the world that we might do this for others. We thank you and pray in your name. Amen. Amen.